It is an absurd thing that a man thinks he can craft an idol, a false god that will deliver him. We might mock those who would bow down to graven images, but it's a really easy thing for a person to make an idol when we understand the text. This is When We Understand the Text, a daily Bible teaching podcast that we may be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Tell your friends about our ministry at www.utt.com. Here once again is Pastor Gabe. Thank you, Becky. In our study of the book of Isaiah, we're up to chapter 44 this week. And I'll begin by reading verses 1 through 8, and then we'll do kind of an overview of this particular chapter. Remember that we're in a section where God is providing encouragement to his people Israel, the promise that he will save them. But there is also an indictment against those who worship false gods, and we will see that in this particular chapter today. This is Isaiah 44, verses 1 through 8, out of the Legacy Standard Bible. Hear the word of the Lord. But now hear, O Jacob, my servant, and Israel, whom I have chosen. Thus says Yahweh, who made you, and formed you from the womb, who will help you. Do not fear, O Jacob, my servant, and you, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. For I will pour out water on the thirsty ground and streams on the dry land. I will pour out my spirit on your seed and my blessing on your offspring. And they will spring up among the grass like poplars by streams of water. This one will say, I am Yahweh's. And this one will call on the name of Jacob, And this one will write on his hand, belonging to Yahweh, and will name Israel's name with honor. Thus says Yahweh, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, Yahweh of hosts, I am the first and I am the last, and there is no God besides me. Who is like me? Let him call out and declare it, and let him tell it to me in order from the time that I established the ancient people. And let them declare to them the things that are to come and the events that are going to take place. Do not be in dread and do not be afraid. Have I not long since caused it to be heard to you and declared it? And you are my witnesses. Is there any God besides me or is there any other rock? I know not one. So in this first section here in Isaiah 44, which we've just read verses 1 through 8, Israel is called the upright one. The true Israelite is described here in chapter 44, and it is the one who has been redeemed by God. But not all who are Israel belong to Israel, as the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 9. The next section We see this indictment against those who are idolaters, and that's in verses 9 through 20. And you have God really making fools of those who would bow down and worship an idol, that they would make a graven image and think that it can deliver them. When as God has said here in this chapter and also the one that we looked at last week in Isaiah 43, that he alone is the redeemer. He alone is the deliverer. And yet a man would make a God in his own image and think that this false God that he just made has the power to deliver him. So that indictment we have in verses 9 through 20. And then the last section, verses 21 to 28, you have 
the the demonstration of the true Israelite in verses one through eight, and then the one who is worshiped false idols in verses nine to 20. So then finally, in verses 21 to 28, God is going to call out the faithful to himself. Who is the true Israelite? He who will repent of his sin and return to the Lord will show himself to truly belong to God, not because he is uh, of ethnic origin. That doesn't mean that he belongs to God, but the one who listens to his word and obeys him will turn from his sin back to the Lord. And that's what we'll see in that final section in verses 21 to 28. So coming back now to the beginning, verses one through eight, where we have this description of the Holy One of Israel, the one whom the Lord is called to himself, the one who is not ashamed to call himself an Israelite. As said in verse 5, he will name Israel's name with honor. So we begin, Hear now, O Jacob, my servant, and Israel whom I have chosen. Thus says Yahweh who made you and formed you from the womb, who will help you. Do not fear, O Jacob, my servant, and you, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. And that name, Jeshurun, means upright one, in whom there is no guile. And this godly person is also described in Revelation 14, as a matter of fact. The ones who are not defiled with women, for they are virgins. And this is describing somebody who's not defiled themselves with the sexual perversions of the worldly. These are the ones who follow the lamb wherever he goes. These have been purchased from among men as first fruits to God and to the lamb. And no lie was found in their mouth. They are blameless. Same kind of person described there in Revelation chapter 14, as we have described here in Isaiah 44, the upright one. The one who walks blamelessly before God because he has been purchased by God and redeemed. Do not fear, O Jacob, my servant, and you, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen, for I will pour out water on the thirsty ground and streams on the dry land. I will pour out my spirit on your seed and my blessing on your offspring. Now, as we are seeing things being said here of the Israelites that have been sent into Babylonian captivity, we know that what is being said applies first to them, but there are later fulfillments of these words as well. So the people that will be brought out of captivity back into the land of Judah, they are promised that it will be a flourishing land once again. Remember, it's described now, at least at this time, at the time that the Israelites will be exiled to the Babylonians, it will be called a haunt of jackals. It's a wilderness. It's not flourishing at all. There are wild beasts that inhabit that land. It's not the sort of a place that anyone would want to settle in. But God is promising that it will be a flourishing land once again, a refreshing land with flowing streams, just as the Israelites had seen for themselves when the land was given to them under the leadership of Joshua. My blessing will be on your offspring. So those who will be brought out of captivity in Babylon, the descendants of those who were sent into captivity, will come back into the land and see a flourishing and refreshing land once again. That's the immediate application of those who are being exiled into Babylonian captivity. But there's a later application. It will be those who will be dwelling in the land at the time that Christ is born. That will be more refreshing than any other time in Judah's history when the Messiah comes to them as promised by the prophets. 
But this would surely come to mind a prophecy that was given by Joel also, who said that God will pour out his spirit on all flesh. Peter talking about the fulfillment of that at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And so this being the the spirit that will pour out on your seed, your sons and your daughters will dream dreams and prophesy and have visions. And and that we saw fulfilled in the time of the, the church, those 40 years between Jesus ascension into heaven, which probably happened around AD 30, and then the destruction of the temple in AD 70. And during those years, The Holy Spirit poured out and being shown in miraculous signs and wonders as the message of the gospel is being confirmed. So the spirit of God being poured out on your seed. But we have the spirit of God being poured out on your seed, on the on the seed of Israel. Even today, the true Israelites are those who are followers of Christ and everybody who is a follower of Jesus Christ has the Holy Spirit within them. By the way, that that reference to those who have not been defiled in Revelation chapter 14, verses 4 and 5 that I read earlier, that is specifically the church. That's who it's talking about there. And the description in Revelation 14, very similar to what we read in Isaiah 44. So there is an application here that goes toward the church. All who are in Christ receive the blessing of the Holy Spirit, and the springs of water that have sprung up in the lives of those who are followers of Christ. As Jesus said to the Samaritan woman at the well, you receive water from me, it will well up in you a spring of living water that leads to everlasting life. And the worshipers that God is seeking will worship him in spirit and truth everywhere, not on this mountain, not in Jerusalem, but everywhere. And that's, that's us now. So we see a fulfillment of these promises that come even to the church, even today. Verse four, they will spring up among the grass like poplars by streams of water. This one will say, I am Yahweh's. And do you not say that? Do you not say that you belong to God? This one will call on the name of Jacob. This one will write on his hand belonging to Yahweh and will name Israel's name with honor. Again, the church being true Israel. Really, Christ is true Israel. And then all who are in Christ are brought into the people of God, our true Israelites. Verses six through eight, thus says Yahweh, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, Yahweh of hosts. I am the first and I am the last and there is no God besides me. Just like the statements we saw in verse 43 or sorry, chapter 43, Verse 11, I, even I am Yahweh, and there is no savior besides me. I am God. Even from eternity, I am he. So the exaltation God makes of himself in chapter 43, how there is no God that compares to him. God brings that back in again here in chapter 44, because he's going to make an indictment about those who worship false gods here in just a few verses. I am the first and I am the last, again, just like we read in chapter 43, and there is no God besides me. Who is like me? Let him call out and declare it. Let him tell it to me in order from the time that I established the ancient people and let them declare to them the things that are to come and the events that are going to take place. The Lord had put the gods on trial earlier when he said, tell me, tell me what's going to happen. How are these things going to take place. God is the one who has ordered the beginning and the end. There is nothing that happens that God is not ordained. 
He is the one who has established all of it. Do not be in dread and do not be afraid, he says. Have I not long since caused it to be heard to you and declared it? And you are my witnesses. Is there any God besides me or any other rock I know of none? As we had read last week, Becky and I, when we were going through, uh, we were talking about Jude, where Jesus is described there as the one who had delivered the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. Specifically, the name is used in the letter of Jude, that Jesus is the one who delivers the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. And then Becky and I pointed out in Paul's letter to the Corinthians that Jesus is the rock who went with them into the wilderness as well. So is there any other rock? The question being asked here in Isaiah 44, there is only God. We go to the next section here where God gives this indictment of those who worship idols. So we have this description of the true Israelite, but not Israel has behaved. Not all of Israel's behaved in such a way. Some have gone after false gods and it is exactly that behavior that had angered the Lord and had brought this judgment upon them that they would be exiled from their land into the hands of foreigners. And so in verse 9, the prophet says, Those who form a graven image are all of them futile, and their desirable things are of no profit. Even their own witnesses fail to see or know so that they will be put to shame. I talked earlier this week about those who have been blinded, They are unable to see the truth. They have loved their sin, and so they have been given over to a depraved mind, as talked about in Romans chapter 1. It was just yesterday when we were in uh, Matthew 19 that I talked about this. So there are those who are so dumb, they are so ignorant and rebellious against God that God has shut their minds to be able to recognize the foolishness, their own folly that they behave in. Who has formed a God or cast a graven image to no profit? He says in verse 10, behold, all his companions will be put to shame. The craftsmen themselves are mere men. Let them all assemble themselves. Let them stand up. Let them be in dread. Let them together be put to shame. The man crafts iron into a cutting tool. And does his work over the coals, forming it with hammers and working it with his powerful arm. He also gets hungry and has no power. He drinks no water and becomes weary. So we're talking about the feebleness of the man here. There's a power that he has. He uses that power to form a cutting tool, but he still is weak. If he doesn't drink water, then then he's going to become weary. So the Lord highlighting the limits and the weakness of man here. He has strength to form some things, but his strength only goes so far. Verse 13, another crafts wood. He extends a measuring line. He outlines it with a stylus. He makes it with planes and outlines it with a compass and makes it like the form of a man, like the glory of man, so that it may sit in a house. This is talking about a man making a graven image here. Verse 14, in order to cut cedars for himself, he takes a cypress or an oak and raises it for himself among the trees of the forest. He plants a fir and the rain makes it grow. So what the Lord is setting up here is this man who's forming an idol. He will plant a tree. He'll water it and it will grow 
but he's not the one that provides the growth. He's not the one that even sustains the tree. It's God who does this. Yet he's, he's making all of these things come about so that he can form for himself a, fa- a false god to worship. As we continue on, verse 15, then it becomes something for a man to burn. So he takes one of them and he warms himself and he also kindles a fire to make bread. He also works to produce a God and worships it and he makes it a graven image and he falls down before it. So with part of the tree, he warms himself. Part of the tree, he he builds a fire so that he can bake his bread. With part of the tree, he makes a false God. Verse 16, half of it he burns in the fire. Over this half, he eats meat as he roasts a roast and is satisfied. He also warms himself and says, aha, I am warm. I have seen the fire. But the rest of it he makes into a god, his graven image. He falls down before it and worships. He also prays to it and says, deliver me, for you are my god. You see the absurdity of all of this, right? It is the man who grew the tree, who cut it down, who cut part of it into firewood so that he could bake bread and be able to eat it and be nourished. And the other part of it, he formed into a God and he falls down to it and worships it and says, deliver me. This man has done this. He is worshiping the created things rather than the creator. And again, back to the question that was asked at the start of this indictment, verse 10, who has formed a God or cast a graven image to no profit? No one profits from this. It is to their destruction. This God can't do anything for you. This this false idol that you have formed. And this question was asked at the start of this section because this is the person who needs to repent and return to the Lord. And the person who repents will show themselves to truly be a faithful one of Israel. Let's continue on. Verse 18, they do not know, nor do they understand, for he has smeared over their eyes so that they cannot see and their hearts so that they will have no insight. This is the Lord who has hardened their hearts to even even to the point that they're unable to recognize the truth. No one causes this to return to his heart, nor is their knowledge or understanding to say, I have burned half of it in the fire and also have baked bread over its coals. I roast meat and eat it. Then I make the rest of it into an abomination. I fall down before a block of wood. The man doesn't even have enough sense to recognize that. He feeds on ashes. A deceived heart has turned him aside and he cannot deliver his soul. And he cannot say, is there not a lie in my right hand? This is the depraved heart of this man that God has turned him over to. Because he rejected the creator, he was not thankful to God. And in his foolish heart, he became darkened. All of this, you know, repeating the words of Romans chapter one. We have this final section here in Isaiah 44, where God is going to call out to true Israel. Those who are truly of God will turn from this sin and repent and be cleansed by the Lord. So let's read from here to the end, beginning in verse 21. Remember these things, O Jacob, and Israel, for you are my servant. I have formed you, and you are my servant. O Israel, you will not be forgotten by me. 
I have wiped out your transgressions like a thick cloud and your sins like a cloud. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Shout for joy, O heavens, for Yahweh has done it. Make a loud shout, you lower parts of the earth. Break forth into a shout of joy, you mountains. O forest and every tree in it, for Yahweh has redeemed Jacob, and in Israel he shows forth his beautiful glory. Verse 24, thus says Yahweh, your redeemer, and the, war, and the one who formed you from the womb, I, Yahweh, am the maker of all things, stretching out the heavens by myself and spreading out the earth all alone, causing the omens of boasters to be annulled and making fools out of diviners, causing wise men to turn back and making foolishness out of their knowledge. The, the Apostle Paul repeats this really in Romans 1 where he says, claiming to be wise, they become fools. Verse 26, confirming the word of his servant, and the counsel of his messengers he will complete. And being the one who says of Jerusalem, she shall be inhabited. And of the cities of Judah, they shall be built. And I will raise up her waste places again. It is I who says to the depth of the sea, be dried up. And I will make your rivers dry. It is I who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd. And again, this is being prophesied before Cyrus is even around and all my good pleasure. He will complete and saying of Jerusalem, she will be built and of the temple, your foundation will be laid. So the promise being given that Jerusalem will be inhabited again, and even the foundation of the temple will be laid again, which we know was fulfilled in the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. So these things, God has promised that he will deliver his people. And we can know the same is true for us as well. As God had said so of Israel and it happened. So as God has promised to us that we will be delivered from the ways of this world, from our sins, that we will inhabit glory. So we can know that God will be faithful to complete his promises because he has been faithful in the past. He will be faithful to us in the present and for our futures. My friends, turn from those things that you have exalted to the place of God, believing that that stuff will make you happier and more satisfied and more saved than what Jesus Christ can give you. It is only in Christ that we have the forgiveness of sins, that we understand our meaning and purpose in life to glorify God, and that we know we are saved from the wrath to come. Heavenly Father, I thank you for what we've read. May this be things that we take to heart. May we recognize that the human heart is an idol factory. There are so many things that we are ready to raise up to the place of God or claim that I need to have this in order to be satisfied. That's idolatry. Covetousness, which is idolatry, as the Apostle Paul describes it in Colossians chapter 3. So let us not covet for those things that we do not have, but let our desire be for Christ and for your glory to be proclaimed in our lives and in this world. Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords, who is sovereign over all. It is in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. 
This has been When We Understand the Text of Pastor Gabriel Hughes. For all of our podcasts, episodes, videos, books, and more, visit our website at www.utt.com. If you'd like to submit a question to this broadcast or just send us a comment, email whenweunderstandthetext at gmail.com and let your friends know about our ministry. Join us again tomorrow as we grow together in the study of God's Word, When We Understand the Text.